Thank you for listening to the Renovation Church podcast. We're a family that believes you matter, and together we can do something that matters. We hope that this podcast aids you in your spiritual journey toward Jesus. If we can serve you on that journey, please let us know by visiting our website, renovationchurch.com. We always love to hear how the ministry of renovation is impacting your life. The best way to let us know is by leaving a review or tagging us on social media. Wherever you are in the world, know that Jesus loves you and we love you. Enjoy the podcast. All right. Well, today we are in week four of our series, The Magnificent Seven, Why God Chooses Questionable People to Do Remarkable Things. Uh, If you've missed any of these previous messages, we'd love for you to stay up on these and catch up on those. And so you can go to our YouTube channel, like and subscribe, yo, like and subscribe. Uh, That way we continue. I know, I know, I'm a YouTuber now. Um, Actually, I'm going to be according to Pastor Doug, but he hasn't told me how that's going to happen yet. And given that I'm loathsome towards social media, it'll be interesting to see if it ever happens. But like and subscribe, and uh, that way you can stay up on the series even when you're not able to be here. We are live streaming this series, but we will not continue to live stream. So those of you joining us online... You know where to find us. All right. Uh, If you have any questions along the way, as always, please feel free to text sermon question to 94000. Uh, We love to answer those questions, and especially through this series, which has been pretty wild. Uh, uh, I'm sure some things have arisen, and I'm sure some things will arise out of today's message as well. And I would love the opportunity to catch those questions and answer them. And as always, we have provided a tool for you uh, in our sermon notes there on the Bible app. Please go ahead and scan that QR code. That is our gift to you uh, because you need to get that time uh, more than when you are here in the room, okay? If you showed up to my house once a week to eat, you would starve and die. I want you to think of your spiritual life the exact same way. Uh, A Sunday morning gathering cannot be the full and composite deposit you get into your soul from the Word of God. Can I get a good amen on that? All right. So you guys make sure you continue to follow along. Uh, Jim Collins, uh, one of my favorite authors, famous for several books, including his groundbreaking work, Good to Great, said this. And it was a quote that stood out to me in lieu of what we're going to talk about today. He said, "Um, bad decisions made with good intentions are still bad decisions. Bad decisions made with good intentions are still bad decisions. This uh, is an apropos statement uh, in light of looking at the life of who is and remains my favorite leader of all time. Moses' life and leadership is the stuff of legend. And though he initially recoiled at God's invitation, and I threw that up in quotes, right, because God don't really invite us so much as he's like, you finna do this and you don't want no smoke. So um, his initial invitation to be a leader he recoiled from and God eventually got his Man, and no human being has ever led a larger, more difficult group of people in history. And no one has led better. In fact, the Bible even calls him the most humble man on earth, which will never be said of me. Uh, And and so the question I had to ask myself, even as, as I prepared this message, is how did Moses end up on this list? Well, bad decisions, even with good intentions, are still bad decisions. And this time has given me even greater appreciation for three things, the difficulty of leadership, the kindness of the Lord, and the danger of one unmanaged moment, okay? So hear the word of the Lord and read it along with me. On that very day, the Lord addressed Moses as follows, ascend this mountain of Abarim, Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab, across from Jericho, and view the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites for a possession. 
You, however, that should be in the middle there, however, shall die there on the mountain that you ascend and shall be gathered to your kin as your brother Aaron died on the Mount of Or and was gathered to his kin because both of you broke faith with me among the Israelites at the waters of Meribah Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin by failing to maintain my holiness among the Israelites. Although you may view the land from a distance, you shall not enter it. The land that I'm giving to the Israelites. The word of the Lord. And if you're a follower of the way of Jesus, you say back to me. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word and we pray that you move in power through it. We pray that we are changed and transformed under the hearing of it. In Jesus' name. Amen. According to the National Institutes of Mental Health, the most terrifying thing in the world for people is public speaking. Even greater than death. Did you know that? And I would never diminish anybody's terror or or any mental health issue for that matter of any kind, but I would have to say that if public speaking is the greatest fear of any human being on the planet, then leading people has to be the second, right? Leading people has to be the second. In fact, in 20 years of leadership, I can affirm that leading people anywhere for any reason is a terrifying proposition. Now, I will say this, and it's important for me to say this, that right now at this moment, in this season, I've never been more energized, more excited, more thought-provoked, more joy-filled to lead than I am right now. And I've never been more excited about this church than I am right now. All right? Y'all have been pretty fun. Stay that way. Okay. But back to the point. Author... Former pastor and leadership expert John C. Maxwell said that this has been the most difficult season of leadership he has ever seen or experienced in his last 50 years of leadership. Rick Warren, the outgoing and founding pastor of Saddleback, said that over the last couple of years, we have, as a nation, endured five storms together. Five storms together. Global infirmity, social instability, racial inequality, financial insecurity, and political incivility all at the same time. Here's what he said, that any one of those is enough to take a leader out. All five at once should seem impossible. And I'll share all of this with you for two reasons. Because amid all of these storms, culturally what used to be understood as norms for leadership has largely vanished. In today's world, direction is seen as dominance. Clarity is equated with control. Expectations are viewed as burdens, and accountability has become abuse. Now, domineering, overbearing, controlling, abusive leaders do in fact exist, and that is unacceptable. The issue at hand is that leadership itself is now being cast in those terms, whether deserved or not. And here's the issue. Most of you, if not all of you, are leading people in some capacity. How do I know that? How do we define leadership? Leadership is influence, and everybody in here has influence of some kind, which means that you have been subject to these storms and to these circumstances, and they have to be on your radar if you're going to continue to lead. But here's the second thing, and it's to share this universal principle, and that's this. It's going to seem so profound. Leadership is hard. It wasn't that profound. Leadership is hard. And if you don't guard your heart as a leader, subtle things can creep into your heart that can derail you and the people that you lead. Trust me, 20 years I've had many great failures as a leader. And I have no problem confessing that a hundred times over because by the gratefulness and graciousness of God, I know that he draws straight lines with crooked sticks. 
But it's that last part, that last part that I want you to zero in on, that fungal-like growth of those subtle and unspoken things in the heart of a leader, of a person. Yes, leadership is hard. Yes, it has been particularly challenging over the last few years. But the challenge doesn't excuse the necessity to guard our hearts against subtle destructions, especially as leaders. But the challenge is not to leaders alone. Every one of us, every one of us is subject to the same. We can let subtle things invade good intentions and lead us terribly astray. Am I talking to anybody today? Y'all got to wake up now. It's noon. It's a late crowd. I don't expect the morning people to talk to me, but y'all got to wake up. Y'all have eaten. Y'all have had coffee, sugar. Come on now. Let's go. We're not going to beat the Methodists to brunch today. Let's go. Now, even the best of us are in danger, and that's why this message is important. Even the man called the most humble man on earth was in danger of the same. And I'd like to tell you his story to surface this truth and hopefully you'll see a place where it resonates with your own. You see, leadership progress is inseparable from leadership pain. Nobody told me that when I started. Leadership progress is inseparable from leadership pain. And Moses had plenty of both. And if you're a leader at any level, you're going to have plenty of both. In fact, this is a free before you today. You cannot lead and avoid loss. So if you think you're going to lead anybody anywhere and not lose anything, you've already lost your mind, which means that you've already lost something. Now, in Moses' life, I imagine that pain would have been even more acute. Why? Because Moses didn't want to be a leader. Did you know that? First, he told God, I can't talk good. I can't talk good. I can't do it. I'm unqualified. Then he said people wouldn't listen to him. And following these three excuses, Moses finally accepted the reality and said what was really in his heart, God, I need you to get somebody else. It can't be me. In fact, the back and forth between Moses and God got so real that eventually God got irritated with Moses. Go look at it in Exodus 4.13. But Moses finally submitted to this invitation, and that's where his story begins with this calling, and a calling to which we must respond. Though Moses finally relented to God's calling to lead, it would take many seasons of leadership for him to fully trust that he was the one who God trusted. Listen again. It would take many seasons of leadership for him to fully trust that he was the one who God trusted. Some of us are not leading at our full capacity because we still don't trust that God trusts us. But Moses finally got it. And yet we have sympathy for Moses, right? Remember I talked about the texture versus just the story? Do you remember that Moses was an orphan? That Moses was adopted? That Moses was a foreigner in his own home? Surely Moses had some identity issues. Moses could have benefited from a good counselor. And yet all of that, Moses was also a murderer. And Moses was a fugitive. And God still chose Moses to be a leader. Let's look at the start of his story. The writer of Exodus, known to be Moses himself, actually tells us in his confessions that one day after Moses had grown up, 
He went out to his people and he saw their forced labor. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his kinfolk. Love that that's in the Bible. I cannot get over it. And he looked this way and that. And seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Have you ever thought about that, that Moses was a premeditated murderer? I thought for years that it was like rage and passion, like, ah. But no, he was actually like, He thought about it first. Well, the Bible tells us that the next day when he went out, he saw two Hebrews fighting. And he said to one of them who was in the wrong, why are you striking your fellow Hebrew? And what did the guy say back to him? Oh, what you going to do? You finna kill me like you killed that Egyptian? It always be your own, y'all. It always be your own. Well, that caused great fear in Moses' heart. And he thought to himself, surely... This thing is known to Pharaoh, and he's going to find out, and he's going to kill me. And so he fled and settled into the land of Midian. Listen, Moses was many things in his mind according to his actions. He was an orphan. He was a foreigner. He was abandoned. He could not speak well. He could not think straight. He could not lead well. He was not qualified. And yet God called him to be a leader. Why? Because God qualifies the call. He don't call the qualified. If you're already qualified, you're probably disqualified. Think about it. It'll come to you later. You see, when you examine Moses' life and leadership, which we surely cannot do completely, in the few minutes we have together, I want you to think about it this way. It's broken down into three periods. It's broken down into his first 40 years when he lived as a prince in Egypt, his next 40 years when he lived as a fugitive murderer in Midian, and then his final 40 years when he began and almost finished his life's work. Despite feeling inadequate for the monumental task set before him, Moses accepted God's call to confront Pharaoh and led the greatest escape in history. And although he faced all kinds of danger and difficulty and disappointment and discouragement, which you should read for yourself, on the journey across the desert, which should have taken less than two weeks, Moses continued to put his faith and trust in God over and over and over again. And so you have to ask yourself, as I have multiple times over the last two weeks, how does Moses end up on this list? How does a man who Exodus 33, 11 tells us spoke to God face to face as a friend end up on this list? Listen to me. One unmanaged moment unraveled the fulfillment of his life's work. Picture Moses in his final 40 years if your imagination still works. Forty years have passed since God's people left the bonds of Egypt and moved toward freedom. And after four day, decades in the desert, they're almost ready to take a run at the promised land for a second time. Suddenly a problem arises. There's no water. There's no water. And the people accuse Moses and his brother Aaron of trying to kill them, of treating them like livestock. In fact, just as their parents did before them, they turn on the man that God has elected to lead them. Why? Because sometimes comfortable bondage is better to us than uncomfortable freedom. That was their problem. 
They had become so comfortable being bound that they were uncomfortable being free. Moses and Aaron respond as they always have. They fall to their face and they turn to God. In fact, the Bible says that they turned to God and God gave them instructions. Take the staff, assemble the congregation, you and your brother Aaron, and command the rock before their eyes to yield its water. Hear those instructions again carefully. Please listen. Take the staff, gather the people, speak to the rock. Well, Moses indeed does take the staff. He does indeed gather the people. But instead, he speaks to the people and he strikes the rock. Now, God didn't say strike the rock, did he? God didn't say to strike the rock, did he? No. Oh, praise God. <laughs> he didn't say to address the people. And so we see in this moment the difficulty of leadership, don't we? One unmanaged moment, one unmanaged moment. No, it's not exactly what God told Moses to do, but, but I got to be honest with you. Can I, can I be honest with you? I, I still have trouble seeing what was so wrong. Thank you all for being honest. The first service was not honest. In fact, I, I'm going to go one step further. When I read it, I'm like, man, God really overreacted. You're like, how can you say that? No, how could you think it and think God can't hear it? You caught that? We so funny. If I don't say it out loud, he won't know. He knows your thoughts. You may as well speak them. God would rather an honest complaint than a false prayer. I shall. I shall tell it. One unmanaged moment. And I got to be honest, I was frustrated. Moses has labored with three generations of these people. Three generations. Did everything God asked him to do. He'd been accused. He'd been lied on, cheated, talked about, mistreated. In fact, the Hebrew there means that they were quarreling with God, not Moses. That's what Meribah Kadesh means, to quarrel with God. And so I'm sitting here and I'm asking myself, why must Moses, the most humble man on the face of the earth, pay such a high price as not going into the promised land? Look at it and then you'll die but you can't go in. Why is this price so high? Listen to the words again. Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And what did he do? He said, listen, you rebels. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? Did you catch it? Did you catch it? I had never caught it. The Hebrew word for we is not see. Not one word. 
One word, not see. And when you focus on that one word, it becomes painfully clear what actually went wrong. Shall who? Shall we? Now, for years, I had so many explanations from so many people about what went wrong and why Moses didn't go into the promised land. Some people said he, he got too angry and he sinned when he was angry. Well, Jesus flipped over a bunch of tables. One of my favorite parts of the Bible. I know y'all know. I'll never stop talking about it. Is that what this y'all want to do? Okay, let me, I'll be right back. That's me fastening my whip. So it can't be angry. The Bible says be angry and sin not. That's a word for somebody today who thinks anger is evil. No. It's if you sin in your anger. There is a righteous anger. There's some things you should be mad about. So it wasn't just that he was mad. I heard people say that it was because he hit the rock and God told him not to. Well, disobedient people got all kind of blessings from God. Moses was a great leader. He was a patient leader. He was a kind leader most of the time to people who it was very difficult to be kind to. Somebody told me one time, well, no, it was because Moses was being held to a higher standard. Well, no. David got to go. And he killed somebody just to give up their wife. He didn't even get in the list. Listen, I had so many people to deal with, I couldn't even deal with David. He's like, she cute. Killer man, sinner here. Bruh, you are doing too much. No, it was this. Shall we? Shall we? Why was that so important? Because listen, we cannot be God and obey God at the same time. That's it. And that's half our issue. Half our issue is we want to be God and say we obey him. Now, you would never say I want to be God. No, you just want to lead your own life the way you want to lead it. And then invite God to co-sign your choices. No, that's just me. I'm sorry. That's just me. You've never done piss, y'all. You've never done anything like that. We cannot be God and obey God at the same time. And in frustration with these people who was just as bad as their parents, Moses says, look, you rebels. You want us to bring water from this rock for you? Fine. And when he did that, he substituted himself for God. When I saw that substitution... All of a sudden, God's rebuke to Moses made sense. That's why you got to read your word and and really ask questions. How did Moses ever break faith with God and, and fail to uphold his holiness before the congregation of Israel? Well, there it is. When he substituted himself as the one who would actually, listen, make provision. You see, Moses never did a miracle in his life. Moses was afraid to speak. God made a way. Moses got to the edge of the Red Sea and said, God, I don't know what to do. God opened it up. The people complained about water before. God gave them water from a rock. They complained about the food they were eating. God gave them manna from from the sky. 
Moses never did a miracle in his life. God did. But in this one unmanaged moment of intense frustration, listen, Moses grasped for God's glory and took credit for God's work. The word should have been Yotzi, shall he, not Notzi, shall we. And it cost him greatly. A few weeks ago, I flew up to D.C. to speak at a conference uh, called Exponential. And the reason why I was going up there is because I had spoken at Exponential in Nashville. Quick story. And I was speaking on the Holy Spirit. That's what they asked me to talk on, the power of the Holy Spirit. I said, yes and thank you. And so I wrote this message, and I was ready to go. And then before I got up to speak, they played this video of this family that were missionaries in Kuwait when Iraq invaded Kuwait. And all kind of drama went down. I don't have time to cover it all. People were injured, hurt, molested, violated. And eventually the father got kidnapped by Saddam Hussein's men. And they were sure they were going to die. And all they could do was pray because the U.S. government had no leverage. They had nothing they could do to try to get these people back. And this was just a pastor. Why would the U.S. government leverage themselves for a pastor? And so they got a word out to thousands of churches and thousands of churches started to pray. And Saddam Hussein started having these crazy dreams like Nebuchadnezzar in the Bible. And God worried this man so hard that eventually he was compelled to let these people go. And I got up after that, and I was shook. I was shook. And I said, hey, I got a message prepared for y'all. I promise I got notes right here, and, and, and I was going to preach them. I just didn't want you to think I showed up here unprepared, but I cannot preach this message to you right now because I'm so shook, and I feel like the Holy Spirit wants me to say to you that unless you need the Holy Spirit to do what you are doing, you are doing nothing. They received it. It went well. I went home. Got a phone call. From the director of Exponential, I was like, oh, finna get uninvited. Because I get uninvited from places. That's kind of my, that's my ministry. And, and actually, he said, man, I heard the message was incredible. I want you to go and preach the same message in Washington, D.C. And I said, well, I can't do that. He said, why not? I said, because I don't remember what I said. Because it was inspired by the Holy Spirit in that moment. And he said, do your best. I said, I sure will. All right. And so I go to D.C. You were there. And I told the same story. And... And then I preached, and I didn't use no notes, and I said what the Holy Spirit told me to say in that moment, and we had church, straight up. Like, it was a conference, but people was in the back like, hallelujah, Baruch, Hashanah, like, they was wilding out. And afterwards, I got on the plane, and I was working on this message, and I started thinking to myself, man, that was good. That was powerful. And before the next thought could even come, the Lord said so sweetly to me, don't you grasp for my glory. Don't you do it. You didn't do that. I did that. You didn't move those people. I moved those people. You didn't do that. I did that. And I'm wept before the Lord. I'm sitting on a plane crying to do, sitting next to me like, well... He didn't want no part of it. I told him about Jesus, though. And I just wept before the Lord, and I, and I, and I thanked him for his mercy. 
because it's so easy, it's so subtle, it's so quick, it's so simple. We don't even feel it when it creeps into our hearts that all of a sudden we are grasping for what is not ours and placing ourselves in the place of God. Especially when we're in pastoral or vocational ministry. It was in that moment I actually realized that that what God did to Moses was not judgment, it was mercy. Moses had placed himself in the place of God, and yet his striking the rock, too, was far more than we might actually have at first perceived. You see, God told Moses to speak to the rock while holding his staff, the staff that Moses had used repeatedly at the hand of God to provide divine deliverance. This was a staff that God turned into a snake and back into a staff again. This was a staff that Moses held up before the Egyptians when all of the plagues came. This was a staff that Moses held up before the Red Sea when the Red Sea opened wide open. This was a staff that God had used to show the people that I can do things beyond human capacity and comprehension. So when Moses struck the rock with God's staff but without God's permission, he revealed a belief that he could deliver these people without God's power. In the previous generation, as I said already, they had already crossed this road. And God did indeed tell Moses to strike the rock. In fact, he said that I will stand before the rock in the cloud of my glory, and then I want you to strike the rock. And listen, the language of stand before is shadowy, but the typical interpretation is of a servant or someone in a subservient position. And so if God were to stand before the rock, inevitably surrounding it with his glory, then listen, God would have had to be struck by Moses before he struck the rock. And that's what happened the first time. God stood before the rock. He surrounded the rock. Moses struck the rock, but ultimately he struck God, and God made himself a servant to provide for the needs of the people. I hope you all have seen the depth of this, that these people quarreling with God, complaining to God uh, about being ransomed by God, God took the blow that they deserved. And that's why the first time Moses was in the right. In fact, the New Testament followers of the way did not miss this implication. I know you've read past this a hundred times, as had I. The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10.4 that they, being the people of Israel, drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Had you ever made that connection? And so what God did the first time that he brought water from the rock was a pre-statement, a pre-figuring in his own humiliation of the nature of the provision that he would provide for all people through Jesus. But in this latter instance, listen, when Moses struck the rock without God's presence or directive, guess what he did? He put himself in place as their deliverer, as their provision as the one who would make a way for them. 
Moses put himself in the place of God by saying we rather than he. Moses put himself in the place of God by positioning himself as the people's deliverer. And finally, when Moses blurted out, listen, you rebels, he did what God did not command under his own authority, and he assumed God's authority. His actions indicate that he acted as though the power to rule over God's covenant people were his and his brothers and not the prerogative of God. Family. Once we understand how serious Moses' sin and how subtle its entrance into his heart, it becomes a palpable lesson for all of us, but especially for those of us who lead in any capacity. And then you have to ask yourself, how did this happen? It's the most humble man on the planet. How did this happen? Well, he's still a man. And I want you to imagine for a minute. Imagine that you've been fighting for survival for 40 years with people who don't like you, don't want to follow you, and complain about God to you. In fact, there was one point in this relationship where the people, their parents, actually threatened to stone Moses if he didn't take them back to Egypt. How crazy is that? We're going to kill you if you don't take us back to slavery right now. Imagine surviving all of that. And after meeting all of these challenges, all of these challenges, another generation of people comes up and they're worse than the one before. I wouldn't have made it. Can I just be honest? We want to go back to Egypt. You better swim. We don't want to eat this manna. I guess you're going to be hungry. We want our meat pots. You got meat pot money? Listen, you rebels. Get your own water. God be like, okay, you done, son. Come on, let's go. Let's go. You're not fit for this. I picked the wrong one. I'm sorry. Can you imagine navigating all of this for four decades? Most of us have trouble dealing with our kids on the weekend. Like, ain't school today? Do you have somewhere to be? No? Oh, God, okay. 40 years. The reality is crises make you stronger, but they also take their toll. And after leading upwards of a million and a half people for 40 years, it had finally taken its toll on Moses. He was tired. And in an unmanaged moment where he felt unappreciated, in fact, Psalm 106, 33 says he was angry at Meribah. Where he felt unappreciated and used and tired and abused and just done. Instead of turning to God, he tried to replace him. In light of that reality, if I can be honest still, I found myself struggling. I was like, so, okay, he made a mistake. But all these raggedy people got to go into the promised land. And as soon as they got there, they acted up. 
can't give people, that's why we can't have nice things. I mean, seriously, I know that's what Joshua was thinking, like, this is why we can't have nice things. I was still struggling. I wanted so badly to ask God, where's Moses' second chance? You've given all these street rats a second chance. Where's Moses' second chance? But when we read closely, we see that how God acted was mercy, not judgment. I'm going to be brief. First, even though Moses didn't do what God told him to do, God still made provision. Isn't that crazy? God could have left him out there and made him look like a fool. But instead, he still made provision, and not a little bit of provision. Okay, y'all need to stop looking at all these old paintings about the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's got a rock with a little trickle coming out of it. We're talking about two million people that all had to have a drink. And their livestock that all had to have a drink. If you limit it, if you limit it to a gallon of water per day per person, we're talking about 2,000 gallons of water per minute that had to come out of that rock. Even though Moses was disobedient, God still provided a flood of blessing. Why? Because God continues to bless his people despite their flaws and the flaws of their leaders. We don't get any of what we deserve and all of what we don't. Number two, not only did God still make provision, but if you go through the Bible and look at the punishment for idolatry, it's steep. And idolatry is putting yourself in the place of God in any kind of way, through yourself or in an animate object. Lucifer, the angel of light, who was flung from heaven, the Bible tells us that in Isaiah and in Ezekiel, when he tried to put himself in the place of God, he got booted. Adam and Eve, when they tried to put themselves in the place of God, they got removed from paradise. When Moses tried to put himself in the place of God, God actually brought him closer. It was his mercy. It was his mercy. And here was the kicker for me. I had never seen it before until I started studying this passage. We sang that song earlier called Transfiguration. And I picked that song on purpose because I wanted to draw your mind's eye and attention to the fact that even though Moses did not get to go into the promised land while he was still living, he still made it. Because there, on the Mount of Transfiguration, when he takes Peter, James, and John to pray, who do they see? Peter says, shall I make three places? He's always talking when he needs to be shutting up. Shall I make three places? One for you, one for Elisha, and one for Moses. In God's mercy, he still let him go in in the end. That's the God we serve. That's the God we serve. And more still, here we are gleaning leadership lessons from his life thousands of years later. So in the end, even though this was the most difficult profile for me, Moses was and remains my leadership hero. He led well, he led humbly, but one unmanaged moment cost him the fullness of his life's work. And so here's my question for you today. 
What does that resonate with your life? You're going to say to yourself, oh, well, I'm not a leader. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Whether you're leading in your home or in your school or in your job or in your department or in this church, you are leading. And if you're a follower of the way of Jesus, you are leading under the hand and the guidance and the guise of God, which means that you are subject to the subtle invasion of a destructive thought that might push you to put yourself in the place of God. And yet we know that even the most grievous sin is met with mercy when we turn humbly to God and give it up to him. You know, interestingly, as I prepared this message, I took note that the only one that ever had the right to grasp for God's glory didn't. The Bible writes of Jesus that he never counted equality with God as something to be grasped, but divulged himself of his divine prerogative. Why? To give us access <laughs> to God himself. And, oh, don't miss this. John 17 tells us, and a share in his glory. Whew. So today, whatever your next step is, take it. I don't know what it is. Maybe it'll be acknowledging that you're a leader and then leading in a way that honors God. Maybe you have in the last preceding weeks had the same struggle I had on the plane. God did something powerful and you thought to yourself, man, that was pretty dope. And you haven't heard God say to you yet, don't you forget that if it wasn't for me, whether it's your business, your ministry, your children, your home, it is all from his hand. Don't you grasp for his glory. Because here's the promise. If you don't grasp for it, he's going to give it to you anyway. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word and the power of your word. We pray now that we would receive from you what it is that you are speaking to and over us in whole. We pray, Lord God, that whatever subtle things might be growing in our hearts as people and as leaders, that you eradicate them now. We cannot be God and obey God. And we want to obey you, not be you. So that by obeying you, we might have the fullness of the life that you have for us. Father God, I pray for every single person in here that where they lead, where they have influence in their businesses, in their schools, in their homes, with their children, with their families, with their friends, in this church, Lord God, that they would be a leader like Moses, humble, dedicated, kind, present, but that they would learn from his mistake and never put themselves in his place so that they might see the fullness and the fulfillment of the life's work you've placed before them. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen? Amen. Amen.